morning. I want to speak about preparing our soil. The sower went out to seed. And when the seed hits our hearts, hits our lives, what happens? <clears throat> so before we go on, let's all stand this morning before the Lord and invite him again into our midst. <clears throat> Lord, we want to worship you this morning. We want to thank you that we can gather here. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word, that it speaks to us, that it molds us and shapes us, prepares us for eternity. Lord, we pray that we, in turn, prepare our hearts, prepare the soil of our hearts to receive your engrafted word, so that it may shape us, mold us, conform us into the image of Christ. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon the words that are coming forth this morning. That we may look at your word that you have left behind. Lord, that you have given us and that it may speak. It may speak powerfully. Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit may be with us. His presence richly felt as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out in Matthew 13, if you can go there. Um, I use New King James, <clears throat> but it's very similar to King James, shouldn't be no problem. A sower went out to seed. Matthew 13, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, there's a few things to notice here. First of all, then we're going to talk about that later on too. There is not much of a retention rate when the seed is being spread. If we can do the math properly, it's one out of four. That's 25%. <clears throat> That's it. Uh, another thing. I want to point out that God is the sower. And I believe that happens in various ways. One is by the written word. But scriptures talk emphatically by, that is by the spoken word.
Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So it's God in doing that in various ways. He's knocking at our door and it's in various ways. Number two, the seed is the word of God. And that comes by hearing of the word. In Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that word is the engrafted word that always goes deeper and matures more and brings more, more, forth more fruit. And number three is the fruit which are our works of obedience, producing more seeds for the kingdom of God. And I would like to spend a little bit of time on the fruit before we go on to look at the soil condition. So we're looking here for fruit in our lives. And I think we could find more fruits, but I got about six here. And the first one that I like to speak about when the Bible speaks about 30, 60, 100 fold is a Christ-like character. And of course, we have Galatians 5, 22 to 24. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So these are one of the fruits that will come forth if our ground, the soil of our heart is prepared are the, these fruits of the Holy Spirit. They will show forth in small measure or in large measures. <clears throat> Another one is a life characterized by God works. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 10. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, and being fruitful in every good work. So, good works is a fruit, but I believe it's works of obedience, of following Christ. A faithful witness. Those who come to Christ through our witness are fruit. If a person accepts Christ through our witness to our ministry, dear fruit. Paul longed to go to Rome to have some fruit from his ministry there in Romans 1.13. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. So the scripture called, calls the fruit of bringing people into the, to God's fold as fruit. <clears throat> Paul also characterized the conversion of the household of Stephanas as the first fruits of Achaia in 1 Corinthians 6.15. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that it's the first fruit of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Number four, a pair of lips that praise God. 
We may also bear fruit with our lips by giving praise to God and thankfully confessing His name. In other words, our lips bear fruit when we offer thankful acknowledgement to the name of God. And this is something we should do continually. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Number five, a generous giving of one's earthly blessing. And we can take a hint out when Paul referred to the saints giving money um, to a fruit in Romans 15, 28. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, he was talking about the money, I should go by the way of you to Spain. So giving of our, of our earthly riches, the blessings that the Lord has given us, is also a fruit. If we see a brother and sister in need, it's what we give as out of compassion. It's a fruit. A fruit, if you think about it, is also the action that directly blesses and nourishes God's people. And it's an eternal fruit. Matthew 25, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And these are the fruits that we will be judged by. This is, remember, this is, is the judgment seat of Christ there at the end of the age. It's described as such. And so Christ is looking in us. He's looking for these fruits in us. The Christ-like character, a life characterized by good works, a faithful witness, a pair of lips that praise God, a generous giving of one earthly blessings, and a fruit uh, or the action that directly blesses and nourishes God's people. So these are some of the fruits we bear fruit that we bear in the kingdom of God. So now that we have something to go by, what fruit look like, how do we prepare the soil so that the ground of the heart will produce these fruits? So, it will, so that our lives will produce the 30, the 60, and the 100 fold. What has to be done? Well, in order to find out, let's look at the, the four conditions of the soil and compare them to our hearts. <clears throat> okay, so the first one, the first soil condition is the seed that fell to the wayside. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. And the wayside is on trodden ground or ground that, was, that is packed hard. And Jesus explained it, just like I read. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away. So it even seems before a person can even comprehend what is being spoken, the wicked one is there and snatches it away. 
And I believe this is a condition of the heart that has no prep at all. And it can be for two reasons. Number one is a person of whom the soil of his heart has never been prepared or cultivated or disciplined or shaped in such a way where it can handle the seed or it's just conditioned for seed. It has never gone through that discipline, gone through the teaching. And he simply does not understand. Or number two, it could be a person that has been hardened to the truth. The capacity of the understanding has been nulled through the hardening of the heart by disavowing the word or ignoring it. I believe that is two ways. Seed is, is compared to just falling on, a, on hard ground and it cannot, it cannot even have a chance to sprout or germinate or even come to have anything. The word does not penetrate at all. It may reach a point of knowledge, but as far as penetrating the heart and starting to grow, it can't. Before it even starts to grow, the enemy is there, snatching it away. It has as much chance as a seed on a well-trodden path. And James instructs us to get ready for the seed in James chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word or the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. The engrafted word. And such is spiritually true for every single believer. So that the spiritual seed of God's word becomes an implanted part of our new spiritual nature to govern us, guard us, and guide us. Yet we are instructed to continue receiving the truth of God's word with meekness, thus allowing it ever to take deeper root within our character. Even so, as we allow the spiritual seed of God's word to take deeper root within our character, it will bring forth the fruit of righteousness in our lives. But a work has to be done first in order for that to happen. Okay. Soil condition number two. It is he who receives on stony ground. Matthew, I'm down in Matthew 13, verses 20, 21. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. These two, the first one and these two are, they're very, they're very scary. They're, um, like so many times we see a disregard to God's word. And you, you actually fear that that is the case. And, and in this one, <clears throat> how many times have we seen excitement towards the gospel? Towards the gospel of Christ, only to diminish away in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Such a heart had no time and took no time to prepare the soil in cultivating and throwing the stones out. This condition hints towards purifying and preparing the soil. 
And if you think about it, I feel the stones are maybe practices, actions, habits that we're not willing to change for the gospel to root in our hearts. And this again puts a lot of emphasis on in the context of, of family, on the parents, of how we train our children. If we train our children to be lazy, no character, not looking out for other people, I, I, I believe we're, we're preparing a heart that is full of stones, that is not capable of taking in the Word of God. And this is why it's important as parents to have order and discipline in our children's life. So when a time calls for change or dealing with personal issues, the groundwork has been laid. I have always found it cringing when I see the level of discipline applied to a child is further than a parent is willing to go. It's very hard to see. <clears throat> but I usually tell my children about obedience. Sometimes the, the, um, the things we tell them to do in, in the home may sound frivolous or may sound not important. But what, but what is important is learning to have a heart that adheres and that is obedient to an authority or to someone older or just to, just to have a heart that is molded around obedience. This is called training. And when a person comes to the point, I usually tell the high schoolers when they come into the teenage years, it's their discovery age. And hopefully by God's grace, they will discover him, the Holy Spirit. And when they come to that point, if, if obedience has never been taught and practiced in the home or everywhere, an environment of a child's life, how should he learn to walk under the obedience of the Scripture and of the Holy Spirit. If we never teach him to walk under obedience in the home. So as parents, we have to be extra, extra careful. Even by doing nothing, that we harden their hearts. For that goes against the seed of the kingdom to even penetrate and to, and to start bringing forth fruit. And I believe doing nothing as parents and, and being idle as parents, we probably do a lot of damage that we don't even realize. Because I usually look at children and I see these, these the, they're giving to us as babies. They melt everyone's heart. And then we look at them and there's this beautiful molded, creature that God has entrusted it with, us with. And we'll never do anything with them. They would be one rebellious monster because the nature, the, the sin nature would have taken over. Now, how in such a child, just think about that, in such a child, how should the seeds of the kingdom penetrate? Now, let's go a little closer to home. If we have children, if we never instill these disciplines into their lives, do we see what kind of damage we do in their lives? 
Yes, they can accept Christ. Yes, they can walk forward and say, yes, I want to give my life to the Lord. But what this child has to go through, it probably will, will have a, a, a type 2 soil here. They will accept Christ, but it might die. And I think we've seen it. It's always very important to have a level of discipline and character in teaching to our children. Here's a short story that illustri- illustrates this point of good character in parents and nourishing our children with it. <clears throat> there was a Scottish farmer, his name was Fleming. <clears throat> One day, while trying to eke out a living for his family, he heard a cry from a nearby wet, muddy ground. He dropped his tool and ran to the bog. There he saw a terrified boy struck to his waist in that black muck. He was screaming and struggling to free himself. Farmer Fleming saved the boy from what could have been a slow and terrifying death. The next day, a fancy carriage pulled up to the farmer's meager surroundings. An elegant-dressed nobleman stepped out and introduced himself as the father of the boy. Fleming has saved. I want to repay you, said a nobleman. You saved my son's life. No, I can't accept payment for what I did, the Scottish farmer replied, waving off the offer. At that moment, the farmer's own son came to the door of the home. Is that your son? The nobleman asked. Yes, they replied proudly. He replied proudly. I'll make you a deal. Let me take him and give him a good education. If the boy is like his father, he will grow into a man that you can be proud of. And he did. In time, Fleming's son graduated from from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London and went on to become the noted Sir Alexander Fleming, the discoverer of penicillin. Years afterward, a nobleman's son was stricken with pneumonia. And what saved him? Penicillin. The name of the nobleman was Lord Randolph Churchill, and the son's name was Sir Winston Churchill. Life in this world would have been different if it would not have been for this one man applying compassion and helping others and instilling that character into a son's life. <clears throat> but anyway, the groundwork that is applied now surely helps later on when Christ knocks at the door. If a person cannot deal with the reality of the gospel, many a time the groundwork was neglected. It's, there is no cultivating, no. And in the case of receiving the seed like on stony, rocky ground, the natural hardness of his heart continues. It remains unbroken by the word. Without any true sense of sin, repentance for it, and destitute of spiritual life and of true faith, love, and joy. Even though the word is taken in haste, immediately upon a flash of affection in a little head knowledge, it does not last long, nor proves to be honorable. When hard times or tribulations enter, the whole thing falls apart. This condition reminds me a lot of the example Jesus gave after a sermon on the mount. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. But the condition has to be there in order to build. And just 
think about it, what Jesus applied as a wise man is someone who has the discipline and the character and the willingness to take the word of God and to do it. That is obedience. The one who is foolish only heard and didn't have the discipline of doing it. So can we see how important it is to prepare the soil of our children's heart? Soil time number three, or seed bed. He who received the seed among the torrents. Matthew 13, 22. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Luke 8, 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when, the, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word. The cares that come about in this world. And to me this can be anything. Care or distraction that draws our focus away from Christ and the kingdom. And especially for, for men. Men can be so easily distracted. And calling it important. And feeling important. From, from the kingdom of God and from the things that matter. I think you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I wouldn't go on. Luke adds, the pleasures of this life, meaning divers outwardly lusts and pleasures, such as the lust of the eye and the lust of the, no, sorry, such as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, which also like thorns are distracting and afflicting, sooner or later are vain and unprofitable and lead to destruction. And these are called the pleasures of this life, in opposition to and distinction from the pleasures of that which is to come, which are real and lasting. <clears throat> After writing about the heroes of the faith, the writer of Hebrews Pleads with them in Hebrews 12, 1, 2. So he first goes through all the heroes. Abraham, Noah, Moses. On and on. And he comes to what we have now with Hebrews 12. He says, therefore, we also. We also. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I am not sure once we get entangled with the, with the cares of this world, which are the thorns that choke up the seed, if we can ever recover. But I believe by, I guess by God's grace we can. But according to this parable that Jesus said, give us here, it's hard. In fact, it doesn't bear any fruit. But of course, there's always repentance. 
But in and again, of course, according to Hebrews twelve one, he gives us a he gives us a a way of doing it to lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Okay, number four. He who received the seed on the good ground. Matthew 13, 23. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So this is the 25% that received the word and bear fruit for Christ. If we look at the overall percentage of success rate in the parable of the sower that went out to sow, only one quarter produced fruit. How do we know once we get out of this building today in which, which soil our heart is on? Remember, Jesus said that. I've often wondered, is in this room here, is it 25%? Or is that evangelists work 25%? How, do we, how, how shall we know? I can tell you by the fruit. When the word is being spoken and we're of the and our heart is of the good soil, then there's fruit. There's a reaction, and by thereby eventually we see fruit. Fruit, of course, are not always, and they're not never always immediately. It takes time. But overall, we have to look at Jesus' words and believe and accept that it's low. Now, we have to all look at our own hearts. And to make sure our hearts are ready. And we're willing. That is up to each and every one of us sitting here. And me standing here. I'm just the messenger of this word. This word is for me too. So how do we prepare such a soil? I feel believers have the opportunity to prepare that very soil that prepares the heart of a young person to receive the gospel message. A person that grows up in an environment that cultivates godly principles will have their soil of the heart prepared for the gospel. And I talked about that earlier. We have this opportunity. We've been given the the grace, the, the knowledge, the word of God, and knowing that we can do something about it as God's people. We're not coming into the frontiers and where the soil is unbroken and uh, it's not cleansed and all that. We as God's people, we, have, we won't have any excuses. We have this privilege of preparing our children's heart. And I believe we've been given this opportunity to prepare the hearts of the next generation to accept the gospel and to, for it to flourish. And these young hearts can be molded and shaped in the fear of God. And we're not going to do it with emphasis on 
worldly cares and riches, riches and pleasures of life and focusing on what we heard in the opening of gathering our riches where mud and rust are corrupted. The hearts of our children are being cultivated right now. Do we instill in them godly habits, practices, self-sacrifice, love, respect? Or is the gospel coming their way already and finds a seedbed of rock, hardened ground and thorns? There is an incredible amount of groundwork we as parents and teachers can do to a child's heart. When I look at that very responsibility, it, it, makes you, it makes you tremble. The responsibility that we've given. Every time that the Lord has given us a child, it made me tremble that He has given us an eternal soul. Eternal soul. And it's up to us to lead that child to Christ and to have eternity with Christ. That responsibility, a lot of that responsibility of the, of the destiny of that child lies on the parent. It's, it's amazing. So what about our own hearts as believers, as those that have come to the Lord? How do we bring forth fruit? Peter lays out a framework of how we bear fruit. It's helpful or helpful for fruit. 2 Peter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence at your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if things, these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we see again that there is a, that there is a, a growing and a making of a child of God? It's, it's never just existing. And we have to realize and to, that many of our mindsets, many of our mindsets here, this morning, when we come down to the default mode, that staying out of mischief is bearing fruit, and it's not. Staying out of mischief is, or not sinning, is a step. And hopefully there's repentance following. But I believe when Christ talked about fruit, he talked about the things that I, that I pulled out from Scripture there, that he's looking at each and every one of us. And I've always said it, that the kingdom of God is meant to reproduce and not only exist. The story of the fig tree in the gospel is here. I believe is here to show us. We have it to show the heart of Jesus concerning his people. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it records it like this. Now the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. That was Jesus. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. 
In response, Jesus said to it, let no one ever, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And we know the story that the tree was history. And I believe it's a, it's a picture of how Christ wants to see us to be always ready to bear fruit. Especially when, when he approaches us, that he, that, we, that he sees fruits. In times of visitation, that he sees fruits in us. <clears throat> Paul told Timothy to be ready always. 2 Timothy 4, 1, 2. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. And you can hear, feel the heart here. When, what Jesus was thinking about preaching to people and, and uh, teaching them and disciplining them or uh, discipling them. And here is that fig tree and it's like, is <laughs> that's not what I want of my disciples. So, in conclusion, may we live a life that produces fruits, that produces fruit in our lives and in our children's life. A Christ-like character, a life characterized by good works, a faithful witness, lips that praise God, generous giving on one of our earthly blessings, and actions that directly bless and nourish God's people. So, amen. As Christ looks for fruit, may he find him on us in season and out of season. Amen.